lot of times it's, you know, when you're in a big change event, in order to do it well, it's really going to be a matter of being clear on prioritization and focus. There needs to be that alignment. And so I would say when you have that alignment, it allows for more clear decision-making. And, and with that, you can be responsive instead of reactive. Welcome to episode 50 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty, and yes, you heard that right. Today is our 50th episode. Yay, the crowd goes wild. As a special treat, we've got Amy Eliza Wong joining us. Amy is the owner of Always On Purpose and is the author of the new book, Living On Purpose. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you. Excellent. So this is our fourth episode in our mini-series on organizational change and change management. Amy is here to help us think through the relationship between the concepts of personal and organizational purpose and change journeys. And for those of you that have followed my writings, uh, purpose is a very important uh, concept to me, as is change. So I'm really excited for this episode. But as we always do, before we get started, Amy, it would be wonderful if you told our listeners your story. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going back in time, I, it's safe to say that from a very, very early age, I have been fascinated with all things consciousness studies and meaning and the search for truth. And I ended up becoming obsessed with both math and music, um, really young. And so throughout my childhood, I really dedicated most of my time to studying piano and math. And so that, that search for, and it really was a search for truth back then. I didn't think about it that way, but I think that's really what it was. And so that hunger really, it set me on this path. I ended up majoring at math at UC Berkeley. It was quite technical. Ended up in Sun Microsystems for, and I worked there for 10 years and it's pretty much in every role for, um, gosh, for a good 10 years, except for sales, didn't do sales. And it was after the birth of my first child. So Aiden, my, my oldest, he's 14 now. But after he was born, I had this massive breakdown, breakthrough experience. And really the truth is, is, you know, leading up to this point, I've always been quite spiritual, like not religious, but really fascinated again with consciousness. And so because I had studied math, I, I can easily follow along with all things quantum physics. And so the intersection between where math and, and spirituality intersect, it's like, that is just oh, there's so much there. And so that was always kind of a running fascination. And then after Aiden was born, that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I am not living the life I am meant to live. I'm not living my purpose, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what my purpose was, but I knew that I wasn't fully attending to me. So in this massive breakthrough experience, I had this huge epiphany that I, that I talk about in my book that just changed me in a moment. And that that pivoted me into an entirely new way of being. And that insight I had was, oh my gosh, Amy, you're going about this all wrong. It's not about figuring it out. It's about feeling it out. And I completely just 
reorganized around this wisdom and in a, in a the drop of hat decided I'm going to navigate totally differently. And so immediately after that, the inspiration and impulse was, I have to go back and get my master's in transpersonal psychology, of course. And so <laughs> went back and got my master's in that. And it's so, so funny. My husband was like, what are you going to do with this? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, but it's fascinating. I, I got to study it. So that was part of the the real work here was to really listen for that inspiration and follow the feeling versus follow the strategy. And sure enough, it was the, it was exactly what I needed to do. So that the immersion in that field, which really balanced, balanced me, right. Having been, you know, pure mathematics to transpersonal psychology, it lended itself perfectly to coaching. And I didn't know that it's just what happened. And so coaching found me over 10 years ago, and it's just been this truly magnificent a path that has just emerged in the most effortless way. And so that, that's kind of, that's kind of the short of it. And it's, but it's been truly, I have to say at this point in my life, I no doubt am living my purpose and it's every day. It's like, this isn't work. This is, it's, it's truly a gift. I feel like I live a miracle every day. Yeah, that that's wonderful. And, you know, thank you. Uh, you, you unknowingly, uh, uh, punched uh, a really uh, uh, a point that I, li- I like to make. I made in, in my first book, uh, Balancing Act, which is that music and mathematics are inextricably linked uh, w- with one another. Uh, not only can, uh, you know, the, the whole universe can be explained through mathematics. A lot of people think that, you know, you know things like math and music are, are very separate from one another. Uh, and, uh, and they and they are not. M- uh, music oh. can be explained uh, with mathematics. So we are kindred spirits in that uh, <laughs> in that in yes, that regard. Yeah, that is really yeah. cool. So you you had this epiphany, um, uh, you know, for, fourteen years ago. Uh, what's uh, a little bit more on the practical side? Mm-hmm. What's one event in your life that was just a real accelerant? Uh, to yeah. your career, maybe earlier or this move into coaching? Yeah. You know, I have to say, I the thing that I think really made, just sparked my career and made it what it is, was it's happened right at the beginning. It happened when I was 17 years old. And, you know, I was in, it was, I was at Cal and my UGSI for, I think it was Math 1B, his name was Ben and we became really good friends and we would, we would be, we would meet at the gym. Like we just had the same routine where we would be at the gym. It's five in the morning every day. And so we called each other like soldiers, like, Hey soldier, how you doing? Right. Cause we were always there at 5am mm-hmm. to work out. And I had learned from Ben that, you know, we were, we were chatting, we were doing something at the gym and I was like, Oh, what are you up to today? And he's like, Oh, well, I've got this interview for an internship. And you know, I'm like, oh, what's that? I had no idea what that was. And so he started telling me about this program that he was in for to to for placements for amazing internships. And it was really quite rigorous and you had to apply. And I was fascinated and it felt so uncomfortably exciting as he was sharing that with me. And I thought, well, is that something I could do? And he's like, yeah, totally. And so without any hesitation, I just jumped right in and made sure that I was going to be a part of this program. And it, I look back and I think that was probably one of the best decisions 
I could have have made because while other a lot of my friends and classmates were partying all the time, I was doing mock interviews and I was going to leadership conferences and I was, you know, learning everything I needed to know about just entering into the workforce. And it was it was actually through inroads that I got an internship with Sun Microsystems. So the reason I was at Sun for so long was because I started working at 18 in an internship, carved out such a unique niche that I worked there throughout my years at Sun. So by the time I graduated, I really was like, I was super plugged in, went, you know, off to the races in a full-time job. So I think had I not, I mean, I, I wonder like, what would my path look like had I not kickstarted it in that way? Yeah, that's another very important lesson. Uh, my friend Brandon Bustide, uh, who is uh, head of kind of all things business development at Kaplan uh, and former Gallup uh, researcher, uh, really punches the point that uh, our current generation is the least working uh, generation uh, in terms of, especially when when you're very when you're very young and uh, that that transition from secondary school uh, into into college and the telling that story of being an 18-year-old intern and going to work for for Sun Microsystems and uh, and going to college at a major university that that's a story that more more people uh, more people need need to hear we need to be working at uh, at a younger age to to, uh, to, to figure out what, what we want from, uh, from work. So. Oh, I, so well said, so well said. Cause there's just such a, you know, for this upcoming generation, there's just such a lack of clarity and it's just due to the lack of exposure really. Yeah. So yeah. well said. Yeah. Get, get out there and yeah. start working. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's supposed to be uncomfortable. That's I right. mean, and I think that's what holds us back because if, oh, it's uncomfortable, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not sure. And so we we jump back and we fall back from that discomfort thinking that there's something wrong. And in fact, it's like, no, you know, and I, cause I think back, I was like, well, the only reason I did it was because it was uncomfortably exciting. And I was like, well, I have, I have to do this then, right? So that's right. Well, yeah. we're going to talk a lot about being uncomfortable today because the topic is change. <laughs> uh, and I, But I think we need to start with a brief explanation of your new book, uh, Living on Purpose. Can you fill us in on its primary objectives and what prompted you to put pen to paper? Yeah. So I've been coaching for over 10 years and I've coached so I mean, just the spectrum of individuals is so incredible. And I have, I feel so blessed because I've, I really do have a behind the scenes look into our humanity because I've had just gone on these incredible journeys, intimate, very, very real journeys with folks. And it's been over the past five years that I've really been focused with executives and leaders and in kind of the corporate space. But the one thing that threads through the diversity of all these people that I've worked with is that all of us desperately want to thrive. We want to feel free. We want to feel joyous. We want to feel purposeful. And we are all on a search for just that. And we think it's going to be in the next job. We think it's going to be in the promotion. We think it's going to be in finally retiring or starting our own business. And not that it's wrong to have goals and visions, you know, but there's a bigger story here. And the bigger story is we all want this, this, this feeling of thriving. And 
we and we alone are the reason that we don't do it. We get in our own way. And it doesn't matter where you are in the journey. You could be a college student. You could be, you know, you could be anyone. You could be a CEO of an incredible company and you could be, you know, a recovering um, uh, drug and alcohol. I mean, everyone gets in their own way. All of us hold fears. All of us have some insecurity some, to some degree. All of us hold false limiting de- beliefs to some degree. And what I have found over all these conversations is that most of us think that we're the only ones suffering. And that's not true. And right. so the many reasons why I had to write this book, one was because over the course of 10 years, I very much came up with a framework on a way out of self-imposed limitation, false perception to finally shift into the right perceptual lenses to be free. And it's actually change in this regard isn't that hard if you understand it in the right way. And it was an imp- it was imperative to me to get this out to the world because really the only people that have been sh- had had been able to transform are the ones I'm working with individually or in teams or in groups. And it's like, well, that's not fair. This we I want everybody to experience that. So I had to put it in a book form. And so that really was why. I wrote it because, you know, it really does help people. And also, it's also important, like, look, you're not alone. Even even the, even the most successful people out there still do have fears too. And that's so eye-opening for a lot of people. Like, wow, you know, I thought that once you hurt a certain level of success, you'll be free of all that stuff. And it's like, actually, no. And so just helping everybody come back to this very real human experience that we're all on is was very deeply, deeply important to me. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You know, I finding uh, and determining uh, purpose and then living uh, that purpose. Uh, I, I, I had much of that same kind of imposter uh, syndrome happening uh, or, or, and those doubts uh, early in uh, earlier in my career. And, and had I just uh, been able to connect the dots uh, mm. that, I was living my purpose, but I just really hadn't put my finger on what my purpose was and hadn't made the time to really kind of sit back and think uh, thought really thoughtfully about that. Uh, many of those doubts and fears uh, may, they wouldn't have gone away, but maybe they would have been uh, a bit more muted and maybe I would have been able to uh, uh, be a bit more intentional about some of the twists and turns uh, that, uh, that were happening through, uh, through, throughout my career. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, there's so much to say about that right there. It's, you know, (laughs) it's, you know, because if we, if we're not super clear on our purpose, then what do we make it about? We make it about proving ourselves and trying to prove ourselves is like, that's an unwinnable game. And so what, so So if we can identify like, well, this is really what it's for. And we identify that purpose. We have a whole new focal point, which now we take ourselves out of the equation. The game changes. Yeah. Yeah. So from your vantage point, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about personal purpose here, uh, but what about organizational purpose? Uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the popular press right now about personal purpose and the alignment of organizational purpose how tight should the alignment between those two things really be? You know, I really appreciate this question. And it's, it's, uh, 
it's, gosh, there's so many ways I would want to approach this. And just going back to the question itself, like when I hear the word should, you know, how, how tight should personal purpose and organizational purpose be aligned? And I'd say, well, I don't know if there's a should here, really more so than there. Like, I wonder if there's an opportunity and then there's a way to really think about this. So when I think of personal purpose, I like to think of purpose through the lens of stance. What is it that I'm standing for? What is this all for? And that really helps me think about, okay, well, what is giving me meaning and what is giving me reason to make the choices that I do, to think the thoughts that I think, to say what I say and do what I do? What is it that I'm standing for? And that's also how I like to look at organizational purposes. Like, what are they standing for? Now, ideally, there's congruency. There's some, there's that they're they're going to be of resonance. You want them to at least be harmonic, right? Because then it's just going to make, I mean, harmony is a lot better than, you know, (laughs) dissonance, right? So, I mean, ideally, you want them to be um, aligned because it's just going to make decision-making so much easier. It's, there's going to be clarity. It's going to, it's, we'll be able to cut through the drama when stuff gets hard. And which, which I think is really important, especially when you've got a lot of change brewing, you like, we we're, we're looking for, for clarity as much as possible. And when there's that alignment then it's really easy to get things done. Now for any individual though, who might be working in a job who is really clear, for example, let's say you're really clear that you really stand for healing the world and, you know, helping people work through trauma, right? And let's say you work at Facebook, right? And you're like, okay, well, I kind of get what what Facebook's, you know, I, I totally know what my mission at Facebook is. And, but yet I personally feel like I'm here to really be a healing presence to people and help them heal through their previous traumas or help them to elevate. Well, just because, you know, you're, you're working at a company that doesn't own that you can still, by being super clear about what you stand for and what gives you purpose, you can still find ways of living that day by day in your current job. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if there's a should and that they need to be aligned, but I think that there's a, an amazing opportunity to be really clear about what it is that you want to feel, what is it that you want to stand for, and okay, does it fit and does it feel good to be in your day, to, to, to be there? Because I think that's the question is, is it working for you when you know that it's not? And if not, then, you know, maybe it's going to, it's time to go look for another company that feels more in alignment. Yeah, there, there's a supposition underlying all of that, that, uh, that we're not on, uh, as we talked about before the show, that we're not operating on autopilot, that we're not just kind of clocking in and doing, doing work and then, uh, and then going, uh, and then going home. Uh, so the, you know, this, this concept of intentionality and uh, being thoughtful uh, exhausts. Uh, it, it really exhausts. Even the thought of it exhausts some some, uh, some folks. But I'm personally here to uh, to to attest that that kind of self reflection and being very 
uh, purposeful about your purpose uh, can 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 re can really pay dividends, and I think that you know that's what I'm getting from uh, from what you just said there. Am, am I am I on track? A hundred percent. It's it, that's exactly right. And I would say you know to wake up because a lot of us are on autopilot, and 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 it, it right now in 2022 that is completely understandable coming out of this pandemic stupor that we've all been in and really just surviving, trying to get by, we're going to deploy survival. It's kind of deadening and numbing ourselves to the discomfort of this reality we've been living. Now we can do that and we can live on autopilot, but you miss out on just the, 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 the beautiful subtleties of, uh, and the wonder of life, like the, there's so much to be experienced when we're awake. And so while it might feel exhausting to wake up, I would say it's just effort and attention in a new way yeah. that pays off in dividends. So it might seem like a lot of effort up front, but in fact, it's easier in the long run, <laughs> you know, to be responsive instead of reactive in your day to day. Yeah. I I actually, you know, I've been thinking about this concept and I think it's actually uh, more exhausting to be on autopilot because you get yourself into a, a judgy, fixed uh, mindset and fixed mindsets, it, it turns out, and being on autopilot and all the drama that comes along with that, uh, boy, that uh, uh, I talk about the in my in my next book. I talk about the ten wastes uh, in of of continuous improvement. Uh, if you if you do a Google search on that right now, uh, you on on wastes in business, it would come up with the eight wastes and. For, for me, there's a ninth waste that I talk about, which is the waste of emotion. And mm -hmm. that uh, I think that uh, it can be even more exhausting when you're on autopilot because you let all of this other stuff in <laughs> when you're when you're not intentional. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so said. Yeah, so let's get to the inter intersection between change and purpose. Uh, in your opinion, how can well-defined per personal and organizational purpose yield better results when an organization is faced with a really big change event? Yeah, well, when they're aligned, you know, there you've got this congruency, and it's it really allows for clarity and clear decision making, right? Because a lot of times it's you know, when you're in a big change event, well, I mean, let's face it, all companies are always in some, are, they're changing in some way, shape or form, right? And it's either going to feel more intense or not. And in order to do it well, it's really going to be a matter of being clear on prioritization and focus. And in order to do that well, there needs to be that alignment. And so I would say when you have that alignment it allows for more clear decision-making you, and, and with that, you can be responsive instead of reactive. And see, that's a big theme I always come back to a lot. I, I do it in the book. That's like, and that's again, what it means to be on purpose is to truly be in the driver's seat, to being able to harness that choice point of, of our moments and respond instead of react. And yeah. so when there's that alignment, we're going to be able to respond better and not just react and then regret it later. Right. So 
we're going to shift gears just a little bit here. Um, not much, but, uh, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about skills and reskilling. Uh, I'm, I'm an educator, so it's, uh, it's, it's uh, not a big stretch. Uh, what are the top human skills, a.k.a. soft skills, that you'd encourage the leadership of a uh, the leadership team of a company that's contemplating major change to proactively instill uh, in their employees? Yeah. Gosh, there's so much, you know, anything around the components of trust are huge. But when I really, really think about this, I would say, you know, you want, when you're trying to move change and and, and make change happen, we want folks to be open-minded and receptive, right? We want them to be generative in thinking through the possibilities and the outcomes, looking for solutions more than we want them to be, you know, fatalizing what, what could go wrong. And so when I think about that state of being, like what is the optimal state of being that really facilitates that receptivity and generative thinking? And I would say it's curiosity. Mm. And so if any, if, if, if leaders could prioritize a culture of curiosity instead of conclusion or judgment, then that would go a long way to, you know, paving really pa- non-resistant paths in the direction of, of the desired change. Curiosity. Mm-hmm. Excellent, uh, excellent choice. Uh, curiosity is at the at the top of uh, of, of my list of uh, skills, or near the top of the list of my skills for for the future. So, yeah. um, and it feels good too, doesn't it? Yeah. Like curiosity is such an invigorating and stimulating state. And I've learned recently, like the neurochemistry of the state of curiosity really serves us too. So, so much goodness in curiosity. <laughs> yeah. So now this next question um, will take that. Uh, I'm going to really kind of challenge that because, you know, what what if you have uh, built your curiosity muscles, but your manager has not, and you kind of live in what I call a smackdown kind of a, of a culture? Uh, the so the answer to this question may be obvious, but what skills do leaders of that same hypothetical company need to double down on? Yeah, well, definitely helps. I mean, we definitely have to focus on curiosity as well. But I would say really to, to foster that curiosity best, it's when leaders can take two components of trust, empathy and transparency. Now, empathy, you know, when you think about like, what would empathy do and how might that facilitate curiosity? Well, in order to have, you know, for people to be open and receptive, they need to feel felt. And how do they feel felt? They feel felt through empathy. And so if there is a two-way street of acknowledgement that I see you, I hear you, I, can, I feel you, then that's going to break down defensive thinking, very judgmental thinking, conclusive thinking, and help foster a, a culture of curiosity. So empathy is a big one. And I would say, in addition to that, you know, communication is such a big topic. And I mean, I, that's all I do in my work. It's communication, communication. I didn't mention this earlier, but that's really an area of expertise of mine, all things communication. And so the second thing I would say is empathy and transparency, yep. because in order to keep people from 
getting triggered, we have to alleviate uncertainty. But the only way to alleviate uncertainty and prevent skepticism and distrust is to ensure that that everything's really out on the table, that there's there's no stone left unturned. So when you combine empathy and transparency together, then it really follows that curiosity is a natural state. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent response. Um, so last question. Uh, and, you know, kind of the 45-second the answer here. You've got a new college graduate or an individual who's entering or re-entering the workforce sitting right in front of you right now. What, what advice do you give to them? Oh, I would say, like, 100% get excited about your hard skills. 100% know, like, functionally what it is you want to do, sure. But just as much as you're excited and focusing on that, you absolutely must focus on your ability to effectively communicate, especially right now as we're entering into this this realm of hybrid future of work. What's this going to look like where communication is key and we don't usually think about it that way. What happens is we show up with good intentions, hope for the best, and then wonder why things go wrong because nobody's putting a spotlight on this medium called communication. But guess what? This is where everything is happening. So I would say if you really want to accelerate your career and you really want to get that, and I hate to say competitive edge, but to really ensure success, then you want to put a spotlight on your ability to create and sustain trust through this medium of communication. Because when you have that, you can create trust. You can do anything. Without trust, everything's impossible. That is absolutely right. Well, Amy, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation, very insightful for our listeners. Thank you so much uh, for uh, for joining us today. And uh, congratulations and best uh, best wishes on uh, on your on your book. Uh, and uh, you know our our listeners can find you on Amazon uh, and uh, and and buy a copy for themselves. So, Again, thank you for being here. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting uh, services. You can visit andrewtempty.com and get the Saturday morning news and the podcast and my book and, and all that fun stuff. Please like, subscribe, rate, and we will see you next time.